Summer in Psalms. I'm excited about this series. Uh, it's going to be great just digging into the Word together, going through these, these chapters. Um, you know it's just getting into those dog days of summer when you're getting close to like the, the, the baseball uh, uh, all-star game and, and it's just hot out all the time and, and we've passed summer solstice. And so I, when we talk about Psalms, our minds immediately go to King David, right? Because he wrote much of the Psalms, although there were about five different authors, at least, of the book of Psalms. But my mind goes to David, and I have this, this idealized view of David sitting out in the field, and it's like the middle of summer in one of those evenings where it's just the sun's starting to set, and you got that golden hour, and everything, you can kind of see the, the, the pollen floating in the air, and, uh, and, and you can hear a cicada buzzing in the distance, and... And uh, maybe one of those clouds of gnats out in the distance, it seems like it's kind of just hovering in midair, you know, just kind of staying there. And David, under the shade of a tree, he starts to play his harp and sing a song. Just make a song up off the top of his head, begin to, begin to strum and to sing. And, 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 and just, I imagine the purity of his praise in this time. I imagine the, the solitude, being out in this field and being with God. And, and God is able to shape David's heart in this time into being a true worshiper, into David being a, having a heart of worship. And, and this, this isolation, I wouldn't call it isolation, it's solitude, away with the Lord is just a powerful time. And as we know, David authored a lot of the Psalms but the Psalms, like I said, have a, couple, a few different authors, and they're a collection of songs and poems that were brought together and, and kind of collaborated into a songbook, as it were. And, and, uh, and, and the, the songbook really covers the gamut of the human experience. It talks about victories and celebrations, and it talks about really devastating, difficult things and struggles. It talks about, um, it talks about uh, poems of lament, and there's poems of praise. So today, to kick off our series, to quote the very famous lyricist and former nun, Maria von Trapp, we're going to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. We're going to start with Psalms chapter 1. So Psalms chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Psalms chapter 1. It's roughly in the middle of your Bible, maybe just a little bit towards the, the beginning from there. Um, if, if you'd rather, um, we have our digital version. You can find us on the Bible app, and we have all the verses and references we're going to be using there. You can follow along as well. So Psalm chapter 1 isn't actually attributed to any specific author. We don't know who wrote Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 is actually one of the very first longer sections of scripture I ever memorized as a young child. And I actually memorized it in a different translation than the one we're using today, so I might mess up some of my phrasing. But uh, this is one of the first verses I memorized. And between Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2, they really encapsulate what the Psalms are all about. 
They really capture what the whole drive of the book is about. So with apologies to everyone else that's going to be preaching in this series, it looks like I'm going to pretty much cover it today. So you can just do mop-up duty. Um, but uh, Psalms chapter 1 and 2 really uh, really are able to, to encapsulate the whole thrust of the book. So um, let's open with reading Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, Blessed or blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. But not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So there's a story about a young man who was training to be a paratrooper. And before his first jump, he was given instructions, and they said, it's very important you follow all of these instructions. You do everything exactly as we say. They said, we're going to put you in the plane, and you're going to go up in, about, to about 10,000 feet, and when the instructor says, you will jump out of the plane. Once you jump out of the plane, you are to count to 10, and when you get to 10, you are to pull the ripcord, and your parachute will open. In the unlikely event that your parachute doesn't open, there's a second emergency ripcord you can pull. And that will send the emergency parachute out, at which point you will float to the ground and there will be a truck waiting for you there that will take you back to base. So the paratrooper gets on the plane. They fly up to 10,000 feet. The green light goes on. They say, jump, and he jumps out of the airplane and he counts to 10 and he pulls the ripcord and nothing happens. And so he remembers, I pull the emergency ripcord. And so he pulls the emergency ripcord. And nothing happens. And as he's falling, he thinks to himself, oh great. And I suppose the truck won't be there when I get down either. (laughs) Have you ever experienced failures and disappointments? And you just, finally you're like, I don't expect anything's going to go right for me. You reach a point where you're like, the world just feels like it is leveraged against me. There's times where um, it seems like there's other people that just seem to be breezing through life. Everything's like, they always land on their feet. They're like a cat. Nothing seems to ever really catch them. Success always seems to come their way, almost to the point it's just life is not being fair. My mom used to say that to me all the time. Brent, life's unfair when I would be upset. It just seems like sometimes there's other people that get the breaks. You see, as humans, I think it's in our humanity, we are seeking for something. We are seeking for the good life. We're seeking for blessing. We're seeking for comfort. We're seeking for these things. Fulfillment, for happiness. We sometimes call it the American dream, perhaps. If you walk through any bookstore, now I say bookstore, there's like one left in all of Eugene and Springfield, I think. Or library, Or if you were to go online and look at the books that are available online or podcasts that are out there. Especially if you go through the checkout line at the grocery store and look at the magazine rack. You've got to be careful with what you see there. But if you look there, most of what you see is about how to make your life better. It's about about the keys to, to living your best life. 
Oprah will have another magazine next month that I promise will answer what you were missing from this last episode or this last magazine or edition, right? Of, of what the keys are that you need for the best life. Answers ranging from the job that you need that will change everything. The diet that's going to change your world. The, the, uh, the vacation that you need to take. The, the, how to change your partner or how to get rid of that partner. The hobby you need. All these different things that, that are really going to be the key to get, give you the fulfillness you're, you're looking for. And our lives are really characterized by these patterns of deciding on a path. This is what I need. And then pursuing it for a little while until we get tired of it. Or until we don't see the results we were hoping for. Or we lose patience. And so then what do we do? We move on to the next thing. And so there's that perpetual search, there's that, that, that reciprocal pattern of looking for, for, for what's going to fulfill me, what's going to answer what I'm looking for, this hunger that's inside of me. And so Psalms chapter 1 opens up the book with a big proposition. It lays out a model by which we can live the good life, the blessed life. Now, I have been, this is personal, perhaps it's not for you, but I've been so browbeaten by prosperity preaching and televangelists, that myself, I'm a little jaded. When I hear something about prosperity gospel, when I hear something about uh, anything claiming to hold a secret to blessing, if you're just missing this one thing, dare I say even prosperity, I immediately kind of just tune it out, right? I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. But this is exactly how the book of Psalms opens and and, and it proposes that there is indeed a life of blessing that is available to us and I will even use the word because it does, prosperity. There is a prosperity that is possible. So we're going to go verse by verse through this first chapter and and unlock and, uh, and kind of look at some of these keys to what Psalm chapter 1 is talking about. So it starts off by saying, blessed is the one who does not. It's kind of odd that it starts off with a negative right away. Like, why would it, why would it start off by saying, don't, the negative side of things? I, I, but it, it actually makes sense. Here's the thing is, the blessed refuse. The blessed refuse. If you want, the, the key, if you want to be on the right path, the first step is to get off the wrong path. Uh, it wasn't too many years ago that uh, it, navigation wasn't as easy as it is now where you can just talk into your phone an address and be like, I want to go here, and it'll tell you exactly how to get there. It used to be getting somewhere you've never been was a whole lot more involved. Do you, the, the first iPhone came out in 2007. It's not that long ago. Um, I remember in college, we'd go places, and, and I lived in the L.A. area. That's a big area, so you'd print off, do you know what MapQuest is? Do you remember MapQuest's? Some of, some of people my age, older perhaps, I think younger than me, they're just like, I've always had a phone. I don't know. But uh, you'd print out like 400 pages of, of directions, right? And if your path took you, if you somehow got off those, you were in trouble. Like it's not, it didn't, wasn't in the printed area, I don't know. That was a problem. Um, so, so we had MapQuest, but before that we had like the big unfold maps, right? Or the Rand McNally's and, and things like that. I still have, and I'm ribbed for this still, I still have a glove box full of gas station maps in my car. And people are like, why don't you get rid of those? I'm like, you never know. You just never know. Your phone will die. The satellites will fall out of the sky. I don't know. You'll need it. You know, they just never know if you need that. But I'm sure they're so outdated now that none of the roads even exist anymore. It might be like 
Oregon Trail maps or something like that. I don't know. But uh, to be on the wrong path, especially then when you realize we're going the wrong direction, the first step is to say, you know what? We need to stop going down this way. We need to stop going down this direction. Conversations between the person driving and what we called the co-pilot or the navigator. Um, my family used to call them the aggravator. But they, 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 the conversation would often go something like, you know, we've been lost for an hour. And then the response would be, yes, but we're making great time. Right? But it doesn't matter if you're making great time if you're going down the wrong road. Once you realize you're on the wrong road, the first step is to stop going down it. So Psalm 1 opens with a list of three, way, three things that we are supposed to reject, that we are supposed to stop the, on the negative side. So it says these three things. We are to stop walking with the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, and sitting in the company of mockers. Walking, standing, and sitting. There's not many uh, states of being left after those three. First, it begins with a warning against walking in step with the wicked. This phrase, in step, that is translated in the NIV, is actually more accurately translated as in the counsel of, meaning listening to the advice of. So, so if we're walking under the counsel or advice from someone, it, it affects the direction that we travel, right? In the same way that you have the navigator next to you. If you're listening to their advice, if you're listening to their counsel, it is likely that you will do what they say. So, so as much as we don't want to believe it, let me tell you this, that the company we keep impacts and influences the decisions that you will make. The people we surround ourselves with impact the direction we go. It doesn't matter what kind of good person you are. I've heard so often, I was in youth ministry for many years, I have friends that do really bad things, but that's not me. I just hang out with them because they're my friends. But that's not me. The people we surround ourselves with influences the direction we go. I, I, I used to, it, it, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul warns the church in Corinth the same thing. He said, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You can have excellent character. You can be a good person. But let, I t- let me tell you that the lowest common denominator is what will set up the precedent for the direction you go. I used to do an illustration with students where I'd have like a platform like this or a chair I'd have someone stand on. And then I'd have another student of similar size on the ground. And I'd say, okay, person standing up here, your job is to try to pull them up here to your level. And person down there, your job is to try to pull them down there to your level. Do you know which one won every single time without fail? Not the person trying to pull them up here. It's easier to pull someone down to your level than to pull someone up. You will so often be pulled down, pulled down by the, by, 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 by the, the advice of the, the ones that we, that we surround ourselves with. Here's the deal with bad counsel and bad advice. Is it's difficult to differentiate between good advice and bad advice. You, you might say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a French proverb that says this. It says, good advice is often annoying. Bad advice never is. We like our ears to be tickled, don't we? I like, to, I like to be affirmed. I like to hear what I want to hear. And so it makes it so difficult because too often uh, we, 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 want, we, we hear what we want to hear and we respond to that rather than maybe it's what we need to hear. And so, 
So often, I see people make decisions that are based on the influence of people that themselves don't have to live with the results. Listening to people that are giving advice that that person doesn't have to go home to your home. They're going to their own bed. They're going to their own situation. And so, so they say, oh, you really should, but they don't, aren't the ones that live with that situation. And they don't live with the results. You see, the thing is, bad advice, yes, it's the things we want to hear, but also on the other side, it comes from a place where the person giving the advice wants to be affirmed themselves, don't they? Who wants to be the bearer of bad news? You want to say what, what, what would be edifying to someone. You want to say what would make them like you more. And so we, we, you, you hear things like, do what makes you happy. You be yourself. So he warns us about finding, making sure we listen to the right voices. Determining already who I'm going to listen to, who I'm going to surround myself with, so that when we're in the heat of the moment of decision, it doesn't come down to that moment. Do you hear me on that? So when we're in the heat of making an important decision, we aren't surrounded by the wrong voices. We've already determined who we're going to listen to, and we've already determined who our influences are. Continuing on, he says, Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. And then he says, Or stand in the way that sinners take. Listen to the advice of wicked, it leads to wrong actions. And then the voices you listen to ultimately become the voices that you follow. So we've progressed from walking to standing. And standing expresses uh, a progression to who you actually identify with. Have you ever heard the phrase, what's your stance on this issue, right? What's the root word there? Stance and stance, stand. Stance is, is an indicator of your positional identity. It's a place of resolution. So we've gone from listening to the advice to acting. Now it's a place of resolution when we stand with those. Now we're in a place where we've actually uh, planted ourselves. And then it goes on to say, on top of that, or sit in the company of mockers. Sitting speaks of a, of a place of resting. Um, in ancient times, especially outside the city, the elders of the city would gather outside the gates and sit, and they would have very wise decisions. It's kind of like when you go in Fred Meyer, and you see like in the early morning, the men sitting at the cafe there, reading the paper and chatting. It's like that. The men of wisdom kind of gather around and sit at the city gate, and they, there they can adjudicate things for people, they can give advice, they talk about the business of the day. And so that's what the company is talking about, but here it says that you are actually sitting in the company of mocker, mockers. Wrong thinking. So wrong thinking then leads to wrong actions, that's went, which of course lead to being planted with the wrong company. Look at this progression. Look at what the psalmist talks about. He talks about walking, right? Walking, with, wa- walking is movement to standing, which is stationary, to now sitting. And sitting is sedentary. You are plopped there. You are, you are, your, your patterns and your systems of thinking are now set. You are, you are set in that way. An ossification has become who you are. You, 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 you have listened to uh, people, and that's become who you imitate. And who you imitate has become who you associate with. And now who you associate with now has developed your actual identity, and it is set in place. You are now sitting in the seat. And so this progression has occurred, and, and this is the warning that the psalmist talks about. But so this is what the righteous then reject, but then he jumps to the positive, the affirmative. What then do we do? What is it about the, 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 the godly that we look at? So the second thing is, the blessed then choose. The blessed choose. You say, that's really overly simplistic. Yeah, it's really simplistic. 
but it's important. Because the blessed life doesn't happen by accident. You don't stumble into it. Oh, I'm blessed. (laughs) Sometimes we think it's the luck of the draw, but no, it's intentional. It's about choosing. It's a conscious decision, not fortuitous luck of the draw, but it's a conscious decision. And so it says this, but the blessed, it says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. It says, those who delight in and meditate on the law of the Lord. Now, the law of the Lord that they were talking about here was the Torah. Remember last week we talked about Josiah, and they went into the temple, and they discovered the book of the law, the first five books of the Bible, and he was devastated that they hadn't been following this law, and they read it, and he was like, we have been missing, missing out. There was so much we're missing. So, so this, this book of the law that they're talking about is their scripture. We have scripture that we are to meditate on, we are to consider, that we are to delight in. And so it's talking about both a heart and a head connection. It's a, to delight is an emotion, right? I delight in my children. I delight in things. I delight in, 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 in spending time like going outdoors. I delight in all kinds of things. And it's an emotion. It's a connection to the heart. But then it also says that we're to meditate. And to meditate is in the mind. It's engaging intellectually with what we are reading. So this is, when we talk about meditation, it's different than the Eastern concept of meditation, which is about emptying oneself, emptying the mind. Meditation in the scriptural sense is actually using uh, a a view of kind of like a cow chewing its cud, um, which is kind of a gross thought, actually, if you think about it. But... uh, it uses the imagery of a cow chewing its cuds. Cows have several stomachs, and when they eat the grass, the grass goes down into one of those stomachs, but it just hangs out there for a little bit. It comes back. Back into its mouth, where it kind of does some more digestion within its mouth later. That's part of its digestive system, is to bring some of that back and to chew it over again. In the same way, when it, the Scriptures talk about us meditating on the Word of God, it's not about just emptying our minds and sitting there with a, you know, n- not thinking of anything, but rather it's to, to take in Scripture, to drink it in, to, to pull it in, to draw it in, and to soak in it, and then later come back and think about how that applies to your life, where it, where it, where it reaches out into my actual daily life. How does this apply in my life? What are you saying to me, God? To, to go over it in prayer, to, to ask God for application, and to take that into our spirits. And so, so there's a, a delight that comes to the heart, but also there's an intellectual grappling and wrestling with Scripture and saying, God, where does this apply to me? You see, the lives of the righteous need to be marked by a desire for God. Our lives must be marked with a desire for God to pursue and know Him more every single day. And this is a challenging thing I'm going to say, but I would say this. I would take the status of your relationship with God into serious question and account and evaluate it if you don't find yourself hungry for more of a close relationship with God. If you can have separation from God for an extended period of time with whether it be devotions or in the house of God or with other saints or whatever it might be in prayer. And you can just kind of say, oh, yeah, my bad. Oops. There's a very serious 
measure of where do you stand with your relationship with God, I would ask. My family has been on, rela- uh, on, on uh, vacation for the last week. They left me. It's heartless of them. And I have missed them tremendously. Honestly, tremendously. I FaceTime with them. I, I, I text them probably way more than they want to be texted. I can't wait to see them. And something I've realized over the last week of taking care of myself is I do a very poor job of taking care of myself. I realized how high maintenance I am. They take really good care of me. I, uh, I, 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 I am a high maintenance person. Um, let me just say this, though. I would have cause for concern if I said after this time away, especially if I looked back and they said, wow, we've really missed you, Brent. And I said to them, yeah, I guess me too. Sure. I could, I could do with or without. It's all good. We'll, we'll hang out when we get the chance. You would say, what is your relationship with your family like? Our desire for God should be a hunger within the righteous. To know Him more. When there has been time away from God to say, where have we been? We need to reestablish. We need to connect. We need to grow. There needs to be a drive to delight within God. To delight in His Word, to delight in knowing Him, to delight in worship, to delight in His presence. It needs to be a marker for us, church. So we, we, it's so important that we delight in God because Christianity cannot be reduced to a matter of demands and resolutions and willpower and rules. Because when our relationship with God gets diminished to those, that is when we say, I could really care less. But it needs to be our desire for relationship to know Him to know Him and to be known by God, to seek Him with every portion of our being. And when we do, this is what Psalm 1 says happens. It says in verse 3, it says, That person is like a tree that's been planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do is Prosperous. I love this description of a tree by the river. I think it's just a beautiful image. This tree that David or whoever the psalmist was lived in a very arid climate. There weren't many trees. It's not like Oregon. Do you know where you find trees are by rivers? In, in this deserty area where you find healthy trees are in oases and places by, by living water. And so this tree that he paints this picture of is, is a tree that's steadfast. It's simply just drinking in the nourishment from the river. And look at the results it says that happen from being rooted by the river. It says it yields its fruit in season. The righteous who pursue God will have a life of fruitfulness. God desires to see you in the fullest expression of who He created you to be. He wants to see you thrive. He wants to see you in full strength and health. God wants to see you yielding fruit to see your life being successful. He wants to see you thrive. That is God's desire for you. Sometimes I think we go to the opposite side of we hear prosperity preaching and we go to the opposite side and almost think like, God wants to see me really struggle. That shows my sincerity. God wants to see you thriving. He wants to see you producing fruit. He wants to see your life being a testimony to those around you. It says it yields its fruit in season. And that's an important phrase right there. Because season indicates that there are periods of abundance. 
There are periods of life and, and, and seasons of the soul where we are just seeing so much in our life come out and it's just beautiful and it's, and it's, just, a, it's just a wonderful experience and it's a wonderful time of, of, of just uh, harvest. But not always. Because seasons are for a period, right? How many of us know that there are seasons then where we don't feel like we're producing as much? There are seasons where it feels dry. There are seasons when it feels difficult. But here's the next promise that the psalm says. It says, its leaf doesn't wither. And if I researched wither, it's not talking about in the fall when the leaves change colors and it turns beautiful and they fall and Pocahontas sings a song about it. It's not talking about that. It's talking about a disease of the tree. It's talking about blight. When there's unhealth, when there's malnutrition, when there's lack, when there's not enough water. So it's, it's talking about that in the righteous life, there is a durability. Even when the fruit and the season of, of harvest doesn't feel like it's there, when it feels like things are lean, at, even in those times, there is a durability in the righteous life. It's, it's, there's, there's, uh, it, me, it doesn't mean that we'll never experience difficulty or hardship. It doesn't mean that we won't ever go through a time of drought. But for those that are rooted by the river, we have what we need to endure. The righteous will thrive regardless of the hot winds that blow. The righteous are going to thrive even when there's a lack of rain because they're planted by the rivers of living water. They remain nourished and vibrant and full of faith. So, no matter the circumstance, see, that's the thing is, so often... In people's lives, circumstance dictates whether you're prospering or whether you're successful or whether you're fulfilled. Ooh. I know I'm fulfilled because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot, a lot of prosperity. Yes, we will experience prosperity, the Bible tells us, but even in those times that are lean, we are promised that we will remain full of life. So there's times, though, I would... I, I, this is my struggle. There are times where I look around me, though, and I see people that I know are not righteous people. People that I know are wicked people. People that I know are not living for God. People that I know are doing evil things, and they are thriving. Have you ever seen that? And you go, what is the deal there, God? They are wealthy. They got, they got tons of money. They're, they got, they're in great health. What is, what's the deal? Where, where, why am I feeling like I'm going through such a time of difficulty where there's a lean period, where there's the, the hot winds are blowing, where there's no rain, and I see this. And, I, and this is why I love the Psalms, is because it's raw and it's open. And one of the psalmists wrote about this very thing in Psalm 73, if you want to jump there. In Psalm 73, the person that wrote this one, his name was Asaph. And he wrote this. He's looking at the people around him, And he says, For I envied the proud. When I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, they seemed to live such painless lives, their bodies so healthy and strong. They don't have any troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. And how how many of you know that when you're going through a difficult time, you can overestimate how great things are for other people sometimes? You're like, oh man, everything's great for them. You don't see their struggles. And I think this psalmist was definitely even seeing beyond the blessing that maybe this person that was evil was having, but he's going, how come they are thriving? 
Moving down to verse 12, he continues on. He's like, look at these wicked people. They're enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And then he asks this question, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? How many of you have ever wondered, like me, why did I even try? If I could cut some corners and live like that, it seems like it'd be pretty worth it to me. This is what the psalmist is wrestling with. He's going, why, why do they get all this? Why do the righteous not have all this? And, and so he's, he's wrestling with this question, but look what he writes in verse 17. He says, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. He came into the house of God, came into the presence of God, started to once again be rekindled with that presence and that spirit and, and that hunger for God, and he recognized the bigger picture. And this takes us to the last verses in Psalm chapter 1. And it says this, Not so the wicked. It says, The wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. I am not a farmer. My grandfather was a farmer, and he had a a wheat farm of literally like over 6,000 acres. It was a big wheat farm. But grain grows on a stalk, and the problem is you got to get the grain out of that stalk. And so they would go out and harvest this grain and bring it in sheaves, and then, do you know what they'd do? They'd wallop it. They'd get a big stick or, or some other, um, something to hit it with, and they, they hit those sheaves of grain so that the head literally falls apart, and all the grain comes out. And that's a great thing, but the problem is it's all mixed in with the rest of that head of grain. That, that other stuff is called chaff. How do you get the chaff away from the rest of the wheat or the grain? Well, the people would then do something um, where they would take, take it's called um, winnowing, they would take a basket or a screen and they would load it all in there and they would toss it in the air. And when the breeze would blow through, the wheat or the grain is heavier, so it would fall back down into the basket, but the breeze would blow away the chaff. And everything that was undesirable, everything that was inconsequential or unrooted or unneeded would blow away and it was forgotten. And Psalm 1 tells us that the wicked's life, while it might be all mixed in with ours and we see things and then we feel envious and all these, one day when the wind blows, what really matters will stay, but the rest will be blown away and gone. So we need to Hold tightly to what truly matters. And Psalm 1 leaves the reader with these two alternatives. It says we can be like the righteous, a tree that's planted by streams of living water. Or we can be like the wicked that are like chaff that the wind blows it away and it's gone. One is rooted. One is secure. No matter the winds of change, no matter what happens, it is rooted deeply. But the other is unrooted, just the slightest breeze, and it's gone. It holds to nothing. So where do you fall? Where do you fall in the story? And you might say, like me, well, I'm not wicked. I think most of us would say, I'm not wicked. Um, If you were to go out onto the street and do a random survey of 100 people and say, are you a wicked person? Pretty much 100% of them would be like, I am not a wicked person, right? Right? I don't, I don't think most of us, when I think of wicked, I think of like a Disney, like, 
kind of uh, villain, right? With like an evil laugh. But, uh, but that's not what the Bible's talking about when it says the wicked. Um, the, the word wicked is actually um, rasha, and it means guilty one. Not that you have an evil vendetta and like some sort of like, you know, skull-shaped fortress somewhere, but it means guilty one or one who is hostile to God. And the reality is we all have been at some point the guilty ones. Meaning we all have been at some point wicked. As Pastor Todd talked about when we took communion this morning, he said we all have been guilty. We all have been enemies of God. Every last one of us have been an enemy of God, which by definition puts us in the camp of the wicked. James 4, 4. This is some harsh words. You want to hear some harsh words? He says, you adulterers. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? That is the same word. An enemy of God. I say it again. You want to be a friend of the world? You make yourself an enemy of God. So anytime we have friendship with the world, we, 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 we make ourselves an enemy of God. And sometimes we look and we say, where's justice, God? The truth is, we serve a just God. A holy God who's going to call all things into account. He's going to hold us accountable. We, we, there will be a day when there is a reckoning where there's going to be a judge who stands and, 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 and judges us. And on that day, the ungodly, the wicked, are not going to have a leg to stand on. All the excuses that we have for everyone else and for ourselves aren't going to matter at all. He's going to see us for who we truly are. I'm a pretty good tab dancer. I can get out of trouble a lot. I can, I, can, I can charm you and try to get out of things. There's going to be a day when I'm not going to charm God. He's going to see me for who I truly am. And God, one day we will stand before the throne and he will judge us. And if we are not right before God, we are considered ungodly. We are considered wicked. We are going to be like chaff that's blown away. But let me tell you the good news. A lifeline was thrown out to us. We don't have to do this on our own because... Because we were enemies with God, yet, despite that, God chose friendship with us. Remember, wickedness is an enemy of God, but yet look at what it says in Romans chapter 5.10. It says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, what's it say? While we were still His enemies. While we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. From enemies to friends. Today, we have the opportunity to say, I want to be counted with the righteous. I want to be rooted deeply into the rivers of life. I don't want to be blown around by the winds of change, by whatever comes my way. There may be momentary happiness in my life, but I want to have true fulfillment. That's what I want. I want to offer that to you today by running into the arms of Jesus. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes as we get ready to close here? If that's you today, I want to invite you to say, Jesus, here I am. I recognize, I'm, I'm going to be real with myself right now, that I have been an enemy of God by definition, by choosing my own way. 
And right now, I want to make myself right before you, God. I want to be rooted down deeply into what lasts and what matters. I want to be rooted down deeply into what really is of value and so that I can have that prosperity, I can have that fulfillment that I've been searching for for so long. If that's you in this room, if you have never given your life to Jesus before, or maybe you've been running from Him or you've been doing your own thing, you've been on your own path and it's time to stop going down the wrong path and it's time to reestablish the right path. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed and you want to give your life to Jesus right now, raise it high. I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Raise your hand. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, church. Pray this prayer with me. Repeat it after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming after me. When I was still an enemy of God, You sought me so that I could know you. I want to be rooted deeply. I want to know you. Be the king of my heart. I give my life to you, Jesus. I will follow you from this day forward. Amen. Amen. If that's you this morning and you said that prayer, Maybe you raised your hand. Maybe you wanted to. Maybe you're still thinking about it. Would you do something for us? In a moment, we're going to do our connection cards. Would you please mark on your connection card that you did? This is nothing to be embarrassed about. The fact is, most in this room didn't raise their hands. And my guess is, because we've all made that decision then. We've all said at some point, I've decided to follow Jesus. So there's no embarrassment. There's joy in that decision. The Bible says that heaven celebrates, that the, that the, 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 the heavenly realm jumps into celebration when someone comes to know Jesus as their Savior. And so we celebrate with you. And what we want to do is get materials in your hands that will help you on your walk following Jesus now. Because now you're engaged in the journey. Engaged in the journey of following Him. And so this morning... I want to just encourage you, if you have been following Christ and you say, you know what, there's been a a lack of joy. I haven't felt fulfilled. I haven't felt satisfaction. In the Psalms, as you read through the book of Psalms, like I said, there's this back and forth between celebration and lament, but it reveals that true satisfaction doesn't come from enjoying oneself. When you jump ahead later in the Bible and start reading in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes and things like that, you start to see that seeking after the satisfaction for one's own self, you'll never find that fulfillment. But when you take delight in the real and living relationship with God, that is when we find true fulfillment and joy. Seek after God with all of your heart. This is the secret sauce right here. This is the secret sauce. Is, is, it's, this is the, the secret of a lasting joy in your, in your relationship with Christ. It's so important. Hear me out. The goal of the Christian life is not to enjoy yourself or to see what it takes to fulfill that, but it's an enjoying God. Celebrating God. Because one day, we are, eternity's already started. We are in our journey. One day we will step on the other side of that journey and be in eternity with Him. And guess what that's going to be all about? Being with God. So right now, begin to develop that passion for God, that passion for Him, that passion for His church. 
And when you do, the joy will be there because you are fulfilling your God-created purpose. Amen. 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 Well, this morning, we are going to do a few things before we go. Like I said, we're going to do our connection cards. So if you wouldn't mind, we prefer that everyone do a connection card, not just one per family. So if you would get out your connection cards as the worship team gets ready to come forward. Fill out your connection card. Go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. That is the super cool techno way of doing it. If you'd rather not and do the paper one, we've got paper ones in the seat backs. Fill out a paper one. A few things we want you to do. If this is your first time with us, let us know it's your first time because we will send you a thank you for being with us. We promise we won't show up at your door unannounced, be like, hello, did you make dinner or something like that? We won't do that. But we will say thank you for being with us and we'll also make a donation on your behalf. There's an organization called Feed One and it goes into some of the neediest parts of the world and it brings the hope of Jesus. And so on your behalf, we're going to sponsor a child through Feed One. It gives them food, clean water, and an education. And we will make a donation on your behalf for a week sponsoring a child. And uh, we'll also just say, again, thank you for being with us. Also, let us know what we can be praying with you about. There's, a, there's an area there. Tell us your story. Let us know what we can be praying with you about. Each week, our board of elders prays over these prayer requests. We do. We literally take these prayer requests to the Lord as a board. But we also send out an, a weekly email prayer alert, and we pray over these things. Let us know what we can be praying with you about. But before you hit submit, don't you dare hit submit yet. If you have, fill out a second one. It's okay. It's not using up paper if you're doing the digital one. If, before you hit submit, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about. First of all, in two weeks, we are going to have a special guest with us, and I want everyone here. I want this place packed out. You're going to want to be here. We have a special guest named Randy Ruiz. He is an incredible communicator. He is an anointed man of God, and he's going to be here, and you will not want to miss Randy Ruiz being here. So make it a point to be here. It doesn't matter what you have to cancel, what friend you have to not pick up from the airport. They'll figure it out. They can take an Uber. Just be here, okay? So, so be here. Bring a friend. Bring a neighbor. Throw them in your car. Put a bag over the head. Whatever you have to do to get him here, get him to church, okay? That's going to be in two weeks, two Sundays from now. Make it a point. Secondly is this. Uh, women's brunch. The women's ministry is doing something. Hey, the, the city, we're open again. The state's open. So um, in two weeks... Um, so uh, two weeks from Monday, so this date is wrong. That's not July 12th. Totally ignore that. It's actually supposed to say the 19th. Am I right, Belinda? The 19th. On the 19th, that's Monday the 19th at 10 a.m., they're having a brunch at Along Came Trudy. So make sure, ladies, that you're there for that. It's going to be a great time of fellowship, connecting, as the women's ministry has an event. Um, also, Belinda, is it okay if I just make this announcement for Operation Christmas Child? Okay. Belinda Grayson, we are so thankful for what she has done last year with Operation Christmas Child. We are looking for even more things this year with Operation Christmas Child. This is something where we fill up, uh, they're essentially like uh, shoeboxes full of gifts for kids around the world, especially in areas where they don't get gifts. But it's not just a gesture of kindness, it is, but also it goes with the good news of Jesus and the gospels presented to these families. And so we are doing something that on August 1st, just want to make you aware, August 1st we're going to have our regular Kingdom Builders offering, but the entirety of that offering, unless otherwise designated, is going to go to Operation Christmas Child, and here's what it's going to do. We're going to pay for the shipping on all those boxes, so that when you go out and get those things, you don't have to pay to ship them, we'll just say it's taken care of. So that's going to be August 1st when we take Kingdom Builders. want to make you aware of that. Next up, I got a lot of announcements. I saved a whole section here. Okay, Wonder Camp. I am so stinking excited for Wonder Camp. It is going to be awesome. Um, for those that weren't here a couple weeks ago, Wonder Camp, we are taking what is known as VBS normally in the colloquialism. I don't know how to pronounce that, something like that. 
outside the church, people don't usually know what, what Vacation Bible School means. That sounds like, you know, like some sort of seminary. So we are taking that and we are renaming it Wonder Camp and we are going into a park. We are going into Pacific Park that's over by Pioneer Parkway and we are going to do prayer walks through that community and we're going to invite the community to come to Wonder Camp. And then we are going to uh, bring them all there. We're going to have a big party at the park. We're going to present Jesus. We're going to have prizes. We're going to do all kinds of things. And then on the last day, we're going to invite families to come here and they're going to do the big prize giveaway. We're going to have the whole thing, but it's to bring the community into our church, to share the good news of Jesus with them, to bring it outside the walls, to bring the gospel to our community. I'm so excited about this. And can I tell you some good news? The first week we mentioned it, do you know how many people we had sign up? 40 people signed up to say, I'm ready to serve. 40 people. I am so, oh man, it made me so excited when I saw that stack of signups. Here's the deal. If you haven't signed up yet, we are still looking for some volunteers in key areas. We are looking for five people to say, I will be a group leader. That means you will have a little tribe, a little clan of kids that are going to follow you around like you are just the most awesome thing in the world. You'll have, a, you'll have another leader with you. You won't be alone. But you guys are going to lead them around to the different activities and do the different things with that team. You're going to grow a relationship with them and, and, and invest in them. And so hopefully this will continue with that family beyond what just this week is. You'll get a connection with that family. So we need five people, five more people to sign up for that. We also need five people to sign up to say, I will be an activity leader. That means you will teach the kids how to glue the popsicle sticks together correctly. So the groups will come to you and you will show them how the activity works. That's all there is to it. We are going to prepare you for success. We are not going to, we're going to set you up so you win. We're not going to be like, well, here's a t-shirt. Good luck. Get out there. We are going to make sure that you are ready to go. So will you do something on that connection card? If you need to fill out another one, do it. Let us know that you want to serve for Wonder Camp, that you want to be on the team and you will serve on one of those teams and we will connect with you, we'll get you the information, we'll get you on the team. Last thing I say before we close, I, I had a ton of announcement, but this is also about Wonder Camp. Speaking of, of just the number of volunteers, the vision that's been seen, we had people giving to Wonder Camp like I've never seen before. I didn't ask for an offering and we had people coming in with hundreds of dollars saying, I'm ready to give. I'm ready to see this happen. I want to see our community hear about Jesus. I was so excited. We have had five families step up and say, listen, here's $2,500 we will match for every dollar that the church brings in. So church, over the next four weeks, I am challenging you to give to Wonder Camp and for every dollar you give, it'll get matched up to $2,500. You are multi- the, the money is multipliable right here. So Give to Wonder Camp. Mark it on your, on your envelope. Mark it. We've got an actual giving category on, on our giving site, nlcchurch.com slash give. Over the next few weeks, let's give sacrificially so we can do this well. We can do this so the community sees. We care about you. It's not that we're just throwing something out there, but we are bringing excellence to you because it matters, and you matter to the kingdom. Amen? Amen. I'm excited. All right. Praise God. Well, let's give this morning. Right now we're going to receive, we're doing a combined, both Kingdom Builders, because I went long today, both Kingdom Builders and uh, regular tithes and offerings. Kingdom Builders is our giving to missions. Um, so, ushers, if you'll prepare yourselves. Kingdom Builders is our giving to missions above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. If you give, please mark it specifically so. There's envelopes in the seat backs in front of you there. Or you can text king, the word kingdom to um, 84321 along with the dollar amount. There's other ways to give. You can give in an envelope. You can give online at nlcchurch.com slash give. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. God is good. God is good. Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing in New Life Church. Look at 
all who's here on a holiday in the middle of summer, we are passionate and we are excited about what your kingdom here on earth is doing in Springfield. Let it be so as it is in heaven, I pray. And let us be those agents of your kingdom here on earth. God, let us be ambassadors that are proud to be bearers of the kingdom where we are planted. And here in Springfield, that that call would be heavy upon our hearts, oh God. Take this, multiply it, let the world hear the good news of Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's give with joy. Well, as the baskets are being passed around, let's go ahead and stand as we sing this song this morning.